safe within your name. This we know. This we know. You promise never to forsake. What you began, you will sustain. This we know. This we know.
today. Let's lift our voices to our holy God. the Lord. King David said something, a little phrase in his writings. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. When you embrace that and you believe that, there won't be any apathy in your approach to God. There won't be any mediocrity in your praise. You won't be thinking about Sunday dinner when you're standing in the holy presence of God. Can we give him another hand clap of praise today? Can we worship him today? I never want to shortchange and worship and praise the God that chose to die for me on the cross. That elevated me from a place of, of sin and shame and filth to a place where I know his name. And I know that he inscribed mine on a book that he's going to read at the end of time. I appreciate the Lord. I, I, I love him and I thank him. You may be seated. We appreciate that you are here. We we are so eager to see what God is going to do in your lives. And I say that with great confidence because I believe that you're here. I believe that the recipe, Brother Jason, is perfect. We've got some people that if you're anything like me, you've got some needs. And I've got the God who can supply those needs. Something's going to happen. Amen? Something's going to happen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're thankful that you're joining us on live stream. We pray, Lord, that the Lord moves and touches your life wherever you might be this morning. I have a few announcements to make. Brother Jeremy and Sister Brooks Sandlin would like to meet with the parents and the students from their class immediately following service in classroom two. So please be there as quickly as possible after service, not bypassing the altar service. Praise the Lord. Monday, March 15th at 7.14, we uh, have United Prayer Time at home, and we, we announce this every Sunday. It is invaluable, ladies and gentlemen. If you have, if you have a family, if you have children at home, Make an altar in your home and pray. Well, I shared with the Sunday school class last week that, that I have my mother's Bible after she passed, and she used it for many, many years, and inscribed and written in, in one of the corners in the first page is make an altar in your home every day. Prayer is important. Amen. Uh, Tuesday, March 16th, uh, Tuesday morning prayer in the sanctuary at 10 a.m., and Sunday, March 28th, we will have communion Sunday. I'm looking forward to that. Do you love the Lord this morning? Do you want him to know it? Let's lift our voices to the Lord this morning as they praise.
may be darkest, your light is greater. You light away, God, you light away. We know it's rising, you're rising higher. How to say the power to say?
to me while they were singing You Keep Hope Alive. It's not unusual. But as they were singing that just a few moments ago, it just felt like I just kind of felt this presence of the Lord elbow me a little bit. That there's, there's several people here today that really wishes deep down inside you could sing that song like the people around you were singing life has not been an easy path you've had your share of challenges and deep down on the inside you wish there was just something else there was something more happy to tell you today that your needs can be met right here in this building before you walk out of here yes they can his name is Jesus I'm not naive I was born at night but I wasn't born last night I know that's a very generic statement to say that Jesus can meet all of my needs. But there's a house, a room full of people here today that can tell you that exact same thing because it happened to them. It happened to them personally. And if it can happen for them, it can happen for you. Yes, it can. Anybody believe that with me here today? It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. Jesus! can revive hope keep hope alive in your life yes he can thank the Lord thank the Lord we overwhelmingly sincerely welcome all of our guests today we love our church people we love our Grace Church people the folks that are here all the time kind of take them for granted sometimes because they're here all the time but Grace Church we love you too and we're thankful you're here if you're a guest here with us today, we especially welcome you. We're so glad you're here. And we hope that your life is touched and blessed by the presence of the Lord. I've been very anxious for this moment for the past several days. I've 
believe that God has given me something to give to you today. My angst is, it comes from such an unknown and unfamiliar scripture setting. And the verse that I would like to emphasize today may sound a little bit strange to some folks, especially if you're newer to the Word of God, but I'm going to ask you to hear me out. It's not going to be complicated, and I believe you'll get on a wavelength, but when you hear my scripture setting, don't think, oh my goodness, where is he going with that? It's okay. We know where we're going. I'm just hoping that you will follow the leading and the guidance of the Holy Ghost today. I'm reaching out to everybody today, everybody. Hosea chapter 7. Beginning with verse 8. Hosea chapter 7, beginning with verse 8. Ephraim, referring to one of Jacob's sons, also became his offspring, became one of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament that we're familiar with. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned strangers has devoured his strength and he knoweth it not gray hairs are here and there upon him yet he knoweth it not and the pride of Israel testifieth to his face And they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. I want to emphasize verse 9 today. Strangers has devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth it not. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. My title is simply this, Oblivious to the Losses. Oblivious to the Losses. Would everybody say thank the Lord for the word? Thank you for standing and you may be seated. Obviously today our text comes from the book of Hosea. Hosea was subjected to perhaps one of the greatest humiliations of all prophets except for the prophet Jeremiah. I've often wondered how this would play out in our society today, more specifically in our religious world today, when Hosea had to at some point announce that God spoke to me and he told me to go find a certain harlot to marry. Let me bring that a little closer to home. If pastor was single and I got in the pulpit one day and said, God spoke to me and told me to go find a prostitute somewhere to marry, how many of you would come back the following service? Let's play this out in our mind for a moment and understand what this must have been like for this man. He's a prophet. 
And prophets, certainly, they do not do that kind of thing. The Bible said in Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. This is the beginning of his ministry. The Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, which conceived and bare him a son. The reason God asked Hosea to do this was because he wanted to use Hosea's marriage to this woman named Gomer as an illustration, as a model, so that the whole entire nation of Israel could see that they had done the exact same thing to God. They went off into heathenism. The Bible calls it whoredom. They were cheating on God, who was... Their husbandman, if you will. Israel was his bride, and I'm happy to announce still is. But Gomer was to be a woman who served as a mirror for the nation to look to. Her actions, her delving into harlotry, served as a mirror to the Israelites who had desired and even pursued other gods outside of Jehovah God himself. So you could say, based on the text we read about the gray hair, that the nation of Israel was now beginning to grow old, if you will. By this point, they were, as a nation, well over 2,000 years old. As we know, Israel had started out great, particularly the ten tribes to the north were the fairest part of the land of Palestine. Israel had been inspired by the voices of the prophets Elijah and Elisha, two of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament. But now the, youth, the youthfulness of Israel was fleeing from her. It seemed like her honeymoon with God was winding down. She now desired other gods, other lifestyles. Other ideologies, other principles departing from the Word of God. The prophet Hosea was a man who lived ahead of his times, no doubt. He had a very clear perception that Israel was backslidden, adrift, and heading for the rocks. Yet regardless of the tone of his message... His words went unheeded. Most modern day pastors understand his pain. Hosea had the ability to use words to paint pictures. Just within the few first few verses of chapter 7, consider just for a moment the words that Hosea used. In verse 1, he talked about a troop of robbers. In verse 4, he talked about an oven heated by the baker. He talked about kneaded dough. He talked about 
The heart is like an oxen. In verse 6, he talked about sleeping bakers. In verse 7, he talked about devoured judges and fallen kings. In verse 8, he talked about an unturned cake. But when we get to verse 9 of chapter 7, Hosea describes in the words the state of in words the state of that the state of Israel is in. Her dream is dying, and with some has died. And her possibilities are becoming more and more limited. Would to God everybody would listen. The worst of it all is when, nation, when Israel began to look at herself honestly, objectively, transparently. Her losses, the things that Israel as a nation had lost in her relationship with God, they were totally oblivious to it. Somehow, they didn't know. It didn't resonate. Again, verse 9, Hosea prophesied to them that strangers, heathen people, people that did not serve God, people that did not live for God, had devoured the strength of Israel, and they knew it not. And now they're in their elder years. They're an older nation, if you will. They have gray hair now, he said. And they still don't know what they've lost. My heart today is just breaking, man. It's just because there's folks here today you don't know what you've lost and you don't don't know what you're losing. You've chosen paths that's going to bring you to a bad end and you just don't see it. But I'm going to do my best today to help you. I want you to notice this today. There are some losses that will reveal themselves at once. You recognize it immediately. They're major. They're drastic. There's losses that will affect us immediately. However, there are some losses that only the test of time will reveal their absence. It's when the temptation comes calling to us that we soon realize that we have been oblivious to what we've lost. Time, is, it is said about time that it's a great healer, but time also erodes. Time can dilute commitment. It can blur vision. It undermines values, and it destroys virtues. I want to ask some folks here today, everybody, just if you'd give pastor some latitude. I'd like to ask you here today, when it comes to your relationship with God, if you could measure it somehow, are you better, stronger, more capable in your relationship with God today than you were a year ago? Do you still have the same prayer time today that you did a year ago? Are you as faithful to the house of God today as you were A year ago, if you're not, what happened? Hosea said, gray hair comes over time. And on the outset, 
It's where folks are living right now. There is no growth and there is no decay. Things are static. There's no progress, but seemingly there's no regress. Life has reached a plateau. One lives in comfortable silence. No real accomplishments, but also no glaring failures either. Israel's greatness and strength had departed, but she had not understood the reality of it yet. Consider what the psalmist said specifically about Ephraim, again one of the twelve tribes of Israel. In Psalm 78, the children of Ephraim being armed, carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and wonders that he had showed them. Ephraim was armed and ready for the fight. Yet when the fight came to them, they turned back in the day of battle and they had forgotten the works of God in their lives. In the Bible, there are a myriad of illustrations that give to us the essence of things that are lost and the effect that they had on the individuals that lost them. In the Old Testament, the story of Samson illustrates the penalty of immediate loss. He dabbled with the Philistines and finally fell to the conniving hand of Delilah. His great strength was an enigma to them. He could carry off massive and penetrable gates of cities. He could kill lions. He could destroy their fields and crops with fire, but he could not control his own passion. The Spirit of God moved on him, and great strength came. But the key to his strength was his Nazarite vow, a vow that kept him from strong drink and from cutting his hair. Yet when Delilah weaseled the secret out of him, his loss was immediate. And very obvious. But he was oblivious. The Bible said when Delilah saw that she, that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, Come upon, come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought money in their hand. And she bade him sleep on her knees. And she called for a man and caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke up out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and I will shake myself. And he wished not that the Lord had departed from him. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. When the fight, when the time to fight came, he could not do so because of the departure of his strength. The element of power had forsaken him in his greatest hour of need. He lost his eyes. He was bound in chains and was sent to grind corn. 
all was lost, the Bible said. He wished not that the Lord was departed from him. Perhaps some of the saddest words in the entire Bible. And for Samson, it was an immediate loss. His sleep had robbed him of the capacity to comprehend his own weakness. No man, regardless of his status in the kingdom of God, is invincible. There has to be that continual striving with God through prayer and fasting and through personal devotion. And everybody said amen. But then on the other hand, there are some losses that are only understood or comprehended over the course of time. That is the great test of every man. Time is the great test of every man. We as Christian people, the people of God, must understand the test of time. Let me challenge you with this statement. God's great method of testing is not necessarily trial nor tribulation, but rather the test of time. If I can just be faithful over time, then all will be well with my soul. Such is the case of Mary and Joseph, believe it or not, the earthly parents of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible said, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they returned back to again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass <laughs> that after three days, three days, three days, they found him in the temple. Imagine that. Sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Notice, it took a day's journey for them to discover that Jesus was not with them, but it took them three days to find him. It only took a day to leave, but it took three days to find him. And my question is, why didn't they go to the temple first? People always look for Jesus in the wrong places. It reminds me of the old country song years ago. Looking for love in all the wrong places. We do that. I don't know why, but we do. But there are some things that only come to light under the duress of time and trial. When trials through the conduit of time begin to weigh in on our lives, oftentimes it is then that we find out that deterioration and loss has occurred. Love 
that used to be in our lives is replaced with anger. Joy has been substituted with grief. Peace has lost out to discontentment. Mercy has been replaced by swift justice. Faith has opted for doubt and temperance has given way to self-will. Yet none of this was known until the circumstances of the trial had been embraced. There are a number of spiritual activities that we often attempt to accomplish without the presence of that ever-abiding Jesus in our life. We use organizational skills. We use personal talent. We even use new methods of technology to gain a foothold towards revival and church growth. And it is then, after all the labor, we discover that Christ is not really even with us. It's a sad day rushing toward the battle, initiating contact with the enemy only to discover that an important factor of the heart called courage and passion and anointing is missing. When we look at the earthly ministry of Christ, Jesus told us about lost things. He talked about lost sheep in Matthew 10 and Matthew 15. He talked about lost coins in Luke 15. He talked about a lost son in Luke chapter 15. But in all of these parables, there's one thing that he said briefly that I believe it, it, it illustrates exactly the deterioration of the soul of a man. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he said to the nation of Israel that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of man. Salt back in the New Testament oftentimes did lose its savor. In those days, salt was generally not pure. A whole other message in that. It contained multiple other compounds, most of which held up to humidity better than sodium chloride. So if the salt was exposed to the typical humidity of a place like Israel, the sodium chloride would eventually evaporate while the other compounds would not. Leaving behind a white substance that appeared to be salt but had none of its flavor. Jesus spoke of the salt that lost its savor. In other words, he was saying that it had the same weight, it had the same character, it had the same appearance, but the taste was gone. And salt was good for nothing when that happened. Jesus equated that to Israel. And said that our lives are much the same way. We look the same. We walk the same. We even act the same. But the fire has left our eyes. Our great hopes of doing something for God has vanished. Disappointment has robbed us of our intensity. Disillusionment has caused us to build walls around us. The gray hair that Hosea spoke of does not appear overnight. 
It is a gradual day-by-day occurrence. And we go gradually down the path. C.S. Lewis said, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turns, without milestones, and without signposts. I want to preach to everybody here today in the last few moments of this message. How does the salt lose its savor? How does that happen? I know there's people here today who say, why can't we hear something exciting, Brother Murphy? Why can't we be jumping and hooping and hollering and whatever? Because that's not really what God would like to say today. Because there's some folks here today, there's some families here today that suffered some losses and you don't see it. And God's being very kind today to arrest your attention to that fact. So how does the salt lose its savor? Number one, through an increasing, an increasing association with the world. We begin to associate with the world. When we begin to do that, our, our failure is but steps away. I would to God everybody could hear that. There are scriptures in the Bible that cannot be ignored. There are scriptures in the Bible we can't get around. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible commands to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if you love the world today, you may look the same, walk the same, talk the same, but you've lost something. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of this world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God, the Bible said, abides forever. Paul wrote, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. This is Bible and you can't get around it. So if we associate with the world, we'll, beginning, we'll begin to suffer losses. It will, it will diminish the quality and character of our marriage. I've seen it happen all of my life. I know what I'm talking about. It, it diminishes the future of our kids. And you usually don't realize it until it's just about too late. I'm trying to help somebody here today. The second thing, and I'm trying to hurry, is a toleration of partial views of doctrine. As a matter of fact, you can apply this to the entire Bible. People want to take the Bible and, and pick and choose. Yeah, this sounds good, and this right here sounds good, but I don't like this part too much, and no, I don't want to do that. We don't have that option with the Bible. I wish we could understand that here today. You must understand today that Acts 2.38 is not to debate, but rather it is to save. Yet there comes a great crossroads in the life of one who will waffle concerning New Testament salvation. 
the fulfillment of John chapter 3, 5, that you must be born of water and spirit is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. There's not a thousand other ways. I don't care what people say. We still believe, to the best of our ability, what this book says pertaining to the way people live their lives. And you can't get around it. You may feel warm and fuzzy doing this and that for a while, but sooner or later you'll realize there's something missing in your life. And you'll go through something. You'll be confronted with something. Life will bring to you something that <laughs> it just ain't right. And my talent can't handle this one. And my money can't handle this one. And my knowledge can't handle this one. And my experience can't. There's just sometimes that you need Jesus in your life. Come on, Mary and Joseph. How can you live without him? All of us, every day, every minute, every hour, we need God in our life. And there's no doubt, there's no question about it. The third thing is, it's inattention to our own spiritual condition. Let me shock you with something. Apostasy, carnality, backsliding. Did you know that all begins in the place of prayer? Because when a man starts neglecting his place of prayer, he is straying from the light of the Holy Ghost that reveals the secret sins and habits and faults and what have you. When he gets out of that place where God can examine the soul, again, there is a value, there's a characteristic, there's a principle, there's a power that's being lost. And when someone is oblivious to the losses, in the end, it will cause a man's soul to fall. Let me, let me explain something here. There's actually people here this morning. I've got a mental picture in my head of you up around these altars, hands up, face up, speaking in tongues, jumping up and down, worshiping the Lord, whatever. I don't want to get too specific, but even crying and weeping and all of that. But I don't see you around the altar too much anymore. What happened and why? There's people that are not here today. They used to be here. <laughs> they used to sit on the, the pews or the chairs, and they'd worship and sing to the top of their lungs. There's a man I'm thinking of right now that... I remember when he first started coming, he was so excited. He'd wave at people walking in, wave coming down the aisle. Just wave at them and, hey, how are you? And, hey, how are you? And all that kind of stuff. And when service started, he would clap and his countenance was bright and his face was smiling. His eyes twinkled in the presence and the glow of the Holy Ghost. But he's not here anymore. Y'all don't get it. There's people here today that don't get it. It's just, it's... Serving God to some people is like a roulette wheel. <clears throat> I'm just going to keep throwing the ball on it. And one day it's going to hit the right number and I'm going to win everything. You don't gamble with Jesus. No more than you gamble with marriage and you gamble with your kids. It don't, it don't, it don't work that way. It don't work that way. And there's, there's folks here today, if you would just listen to Pastor. I feel like Hosea right now. If you just please listen, just let it resonate for a moment that... There was a time 
your relationship with God was amazing and enjoyable and fulfilling and happy and exciting. But something happened. For some, it was the love of the world. For others, it was not tolerating sound doctrine. For others, it was just being inattentive to their own spiritual spiritual condition. Did you know that the Song of Solomon, the wise man, the wisest man that ever lived, he said that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. What does that even mean? It simply means it's usually the little things. It's the small things that really get people messed up. It is said in reference to that verse of Scripture that large foxes will go after the fruit that is on the vine. But little foxes can't reach the fruit, so they just destroy the whole vine. So when it is the vine is attacked by the large fox, some damage may be done, but that vine still has opportunity to bring forth fruit again in its season. But the small fox destroys the vine and the opportunity to bear fruit again is forever lost. The small foxes, the wise man said. Little foxes are these kinds of things in our lives. Here's where it relates. That, that critical spirit, that offended spirit, that discouraged spirit. God help me today. I know more people who won't come to church because they were offended by somebody. They were hurt by somebody. Can't get them to come back. Sometimes a spirit of jealousy and envy gets a hold of us. Sometimes a spirit of worldliness gets a hold of us. Little foxes hide behind the vines. You can see the big foxes. They're real obvious. But you can't see the little ones. Oftentimes, until the damage is done. So in this room today, if you'll stand with me. In this room today, right now, there are saints, backsliders. You've lost your fire. You've lost passion. Talked about passion this past Wednesday night. You've lost your passion. Excitement church is an option now if I feel like it I'll go if I don't I've lost your passion we have young people here today who've drifted away from that commitment maybe they made it youth congress or in the last revival or somewhere God I'm going to do this but something happened perhaps some of us are beginning to feel the shifting sands of time under our feet and It's just not as cool to be the Jesus thing as it used to be. Not for me anyway. There are areas in your life that have been found wanting for quite some time. And the devil loves to have you in that position. Because when you're in that place, you'll you'll never be what God really wants you to be. But I want to conclude today with a statement Jesus said. He was getting beat up one day by the ever-present Pharisees, people who hated him, who were instrumental in having him crucified. He was going home 
with a man named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector. He, taxed, he took money from the Jews and gave it to the Romans. And the Jews hated him for that. It would be like the IRS hiring foreigners to come take your money and then give it to somebody else. It's infuriating. We don't even like to give it to our own country. And Jesus was going home with this man to share with him the gospel. Just to love on him and try to help him feel a little bit better about himself. And the Pharisee says, look at Jesus. He's going home with a sinner. And Jesus turned around and said, and this verse is always misquoted. Virtually always misquoted. Jesus said, the son of man is come to seek and to save that, not them. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've seen God do this all of my life in the lives of people, in the lives of families. He loves to restore stuff. He told Israel that I'll restore what the canker worm and the pommel worm and all that has stayed away. Can I... It's almost like he can add years to your life. It's almost like he can rewind the tape and make you even feel younger. He can. He's amazing at restoration. So I want to tell everybody here today, we've all done dumb stuff. We've all done stupid stuff. We've done ignorant stuff. We did stuff on purpose. We've done stuff not on purpose. Whatever you want to call it here today. (laughs) There's parents here today that's made bad decisions. You've sat in my office and told me you were going to do it. I pleaded with you not to and you did anyway. So here we are. God has sent me to tell you that no matter where you've been and no matter what you've done, He's come to save what you've lost. So you may feel like the woman that lost the coin You may feel like the dad that lost his son. God has come today for me to tell you. It may have sounded like a negative message for the past 40 minutes, but it's really not. It's a message of hope. It's a message of promise. God, I've seen God restore addicts. I've seen God restore marriages. I've seen God restore kids, wayward kids. I've seen it all my life. I know what I'm talking about here today. You're no exception to that rule. God can take whatever's wrong, whatever's messed up, whatever you've lost, God can take it and make it beautiful again. The songwriter said he made something beautiful. pleading with everybody here today before you leave to just find a few moments with God just get past yourself for a few moments get past the past for just a few moments get get, get, just put out of your mind right now what you have planned after church I have something planned after church I have a couple of things today planned but I'll set all of that aside it's not more important to me than this There's people here today, you've been oblivious to the loss. But God has come to your heart today and said, Hey, I want to restore that stuff in you and I can if you'll come to me.
nonchalant and not a big deal. This is important. This could be an amazing God moment for somebody. Don't hold back tears. Don't hold back repentance. I've asked God to permeate the atmosphere today with repentance. And we'd be willing to open our heart one more time. And say, God, restore the things Yeah. Hey. 